Hi, you're listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. We're releasing our sermons so that no matter where you were Friday, you can enjoy a piece of Shabbat today. So take a deep breath, relax, and enjoy some words from Rabbi Dina. I remember a few years ago when my grandfather died, feeling like my world had just been through this seismic shift. I was always close with my grandparents and I knew intuitively when he died that the very foundation of my family had just shifted forever. The whole earth had just shifted to the side under us. The pain of it made my brain feel kind of fuzzy like someone had untuned a radio and then turned the volume way up. And in the days and weeks after his death, I remember feeling kind of like a robot, like get on plane at this time, sit here, wear this, eat that, say this. And it was so helpful to have my whole community show up for my family, provide us with food and company and structure for our days, help us make the little decisions. This is the wisdom of Jewish mourning rituals, which suggest a structure for people who have just lost someone and are in the early stages of grief. Cover your mirrors, Jewish tradition says, rip your clothing, sit low to the ground, don't shave your hair and so on. At the moment that someone important to us is removed from our lives and so many people feel overwhelmed by how to continue living in the world without their loved one, Jewish tradition walks them through those first days and weeks and months and tells them and their community how to navigate this moment of emotional overwhelm. It seems as we begin a new book of the Torah this Shabbat, like Moses and the Israelites have also reached this place of just overload, overwhelm, that they need a loving support system to help them just know what to do next. So many big events, life-changing, ground-shifting events have occurred back to back. And I imagine that they're feeling a little shell-shocked. They're feeling a little bit overwhelmed at the prospect of daily living. The book of Exodus that we just finished showed us the beginning of the relationship between God and Moses and the Israelites, a beginning that was fraught with conflict and drama and disappointment and near rupture. God gives Moses and the Israelites a major responsibility. Leave the place where you have been enslaved for 400 years and become a holy nation. And God gives them a major task. Build me a suitable home. And so the people commit, they want to do it, but inevitably they mess up and they get scared of being alone when Moses is up on Mount Sinai for a long time and they build a golden calf and that is a moment of near rupture. And then they go all in on correcting their mistake, donating to the Mishkan until Moses has to beg them to stop. And the book of Exodus ends with what seems to be a clear nod to the next chapter. God enters the Mishkan. Life should go on next, but instead... This week, we get a big old pause. God calls out to Moses from this new home and begins a long and complicated description of what sacrifices to offer when and how, which is not what we expected. The book of Vayikra, which we begin this Shabbat, which also the Parsha is called Vayikra, was once known as Torah Kohanim, the laws for priests. And I had a Bible professor in rabbinical school who speculated that actually the different parshas of this book 
were once kept in the temple as individual scrolls, kind of like in a box, and that priests could pull them out if they needed a little refresher on what to tell someone who had a child or what to tell someone who made a mistake on their tithes. And the book really does indeed focus mostly on what the priests do, which is oversee sacrifices. It's a lot of blood and gore in this book, honestly, and it's like a lot of skin ailments and what to do about them. It's not the kind of Torah you want to read if you're a cow, you know? The other books in the Torah are named for their first word, as this one is, but they also really summarize the major stories they contain, right? Breshit, the beginning, talks about the beginning. Shmot, the names, it talks about the Jewish people becoming a people. Bamidbar, talks about what happens when the people are in the wilderness, you get it. Thematically, this third book should be called Sacrifices or Priestly Instruction Manual. The word Vayikra means God called. It seems like a random blooper when we compare it to the meat of the Parsha. Sorry, that was pun intended. So we could blaze past the first word, pun intended again, and think that this whole book and even this Parsha is really about sacrifices and priestly work and not about God calling to Moshe, but that would be a mistake. This Parsha is called Vayikra, not just because that happens to be the first word, but because that first word sets the tone for what is going to happen. It's not just about laws. It's about structure. It's about a way forward for two entities who have been through a lot of stress and conflict and are probably pretty close to the end of their stick. Rashi reads the word Vayikra not as a stage direction, God called out to Moshe, but as a mood setter. And he cites a Midrash that this calling out that God does is an expression of endearment or fondness or love. It's like a warm, like, hi, honey. God is offering Moses a loving hand in this moment because Moses and the Israelites are totally burned out. They've endured more stress than they can hold. And they just don't know what to do next. They're on the verge of quitting. And God says, hi, Moses. Come here, bud. The Midrash relates this calling that God does to the description of the angels in the prophet Isaiah's vision, in which the angels, Kara kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. The angels call out to each other, come here, friends. Let's do something holy together. This is not the first time that God has called out to Moshe using the same verb, vayikra. The first time was when God called to Moses from a burning bush in the middle of the desert. And as Moses went out of his way to rescue a lost sheep. In that vayikra, God calls Moses to his mission in life to be God's agent and the redeemer, leader, and advocate of the Israelites. Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs describes it as God's summons to vocation, where God invites Moshe, Moshe to undertake the task that will be his life's work that will define his life, leading the people out of exile and slavery to freedom in the promised land. Vaikra, there is a call. Come, Moshe, get closer. Let's do something meaningful together. So let's think together for a moment about how that summons has turned out for Moshe between that first Vayikra and this one in our Parsha. Moses had to leave a place that he had found refuge. He had to take on a task that he felt completely unprepared for and unqualified to do. He had to argue repeatedly with his adoptive grandfather, watch his homeland be destroyed by disasters that he himself helped bring about, 
He had to take responsibility for an entire traumatized people and shepherd them through more traumatic events. And then he had to become a spokesperson for a powerful character to this traumatized people and to try to negotiate between them and his pretty demanding boss. So to put it lightly, Moshe has had a hell of a year. His world has experienced a seismic shift since God first called to him. And I wouldn't blame him for feeling at the end of his rope, like he just can't anymore. And in that moment, God summons Moshe again, but this time lovingly, gently, with fondness, as if God is saying, I know you're exhausted, Moshe. And maybe you're feeling a little hopeless and you're ready to give up. So here's what you do next. And at the moment that we might expect Moshe to freeze or to quit, God gives him a clear path forward. The emotional landscape of this Vayikra compared to the first time God called out to Moshe is totally different, but the meaning is exactly the same. Come, let's do something meaningful together. The first was an introduction, an invitation. The second is a verbal hug, an affirmation that even though Moshe is a totally different person now, God is still there to help him. When we are stressed, when our emotions and our energy feels totally zapped, it's easy to just feel overwhelmed and shut down. And in that moment, it is so helpful to have someone come and tell us what to do next, to guide us out of that narrow place with their hand in ours, and to remind us that our lives have meaning. So as we sit here, eight days away from Passover, a year into a pandemic that has decimated so much of the way we once lived, a few days after another brutal and racist attack by a white terrorist, my mind and my heart hurt. I am ready to shut down. It has been a hell of a year. And I imagine many of us are feeling exhausted by the emotional demands of living through this collective trauma. I know that a week from tomorrow night, I'm supposed to sit down and imagine myself into this amazing story of liberation and freedom, but I don't know if I can. I feel too tired to do any imagination, a little too beaten down to really savor the taste of freedom. What I need in this moment is to be guided out of this narrow place step by step. And I know this week, I'm gonna spend a lot of time boiling my silverware and scrubbing my stove and emptying my pantry as I prepare my home for Passover. These little tasks that could feel mindless and onerous feel actually like little gifts of quiet time. Like Jewish tradition is gently calling to me and telling me how to inch my way forward. Preparing for Passover is at once a deeply spiritual process and a complete exercise in drudgery. The Torah tells us to excise all leavened products from our lives, anything that has been sitting around and fermenting or changing or going sour or crumbling or growing. Passover is actually the original Jewish New Year, the celebration of the coming of spring and a chance to renew our zeal for life, which I don't feel right now. So we spend the weeks before Passover cleaning our homes in the way that we spend the weeks before the high holidays cleaning our souls. We're trying to set the stage for change and growth. We're trying to identify and cleanse, purify, purge anything that is getting in the way of being our best selves. 
The problem is we might be too tired to give that task the emotional energy it deserves. So like with mourners after the death of a loved one, Jewish tradition says, you're not feeling very inspired. You're not feeling very ready for freedom. No problem. For the next few weeks, take a break from your routine and devote yourself to this mindless task of cleaning and allow that mindless labor to help, the, help you be mindful of your emotional state. Move from mindlessness to mindfulness in a quiet, gentle way. So we do things like clean out our pantry and donate our excess food. We deep clean our appliances and our dishes and we pour boiling water everywhere. We could skip all of this, show up to the Seder with our same old food and our same old dishes. We could, but then we probably wouldn't show up at Passover ready to get much out of it. We're not likely to step out of our ordinary lives without a little push, without a little help. So the extensive menu planning and cleaning and changing of dishes and negotiation of this, that, and the other that we're all going through right now feels like a call from Jewish tradition to me. Like a come, let's do something meaningful together. Like God calling lovingly to Moses and prescribing for him exactly how to act in his new reality. We don't need to feel ready for freedom right away. We can and should take our time adjusting to a new way of being in the world. If you want some communal and rabbinic support preparing your home and your heart for Passover, I encourage you to join that Chameitz challenge on Slack where Rabbi Lizzie and I and a bunch of other Mishkanites are gonna be sharing our progress and getting tips on cleaning and giving each other communal support for preparing for this holiday. There is so much that is destabilizing in our world right now. And it has been this way for so long. So I hope you will find time this week to let go, to let yourself be guided, to know that you are not alone, no matter how narrow this moment feels. You've been listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan Chicago. If you enjoyed this sermon and want to join us live, tune in to Shabbat services through Facebook most Fridays of the month and through Zoom two Saturday mornings a month. Our schedule of services and programs can be found at mishkanchicago.org events, where there's also a link to donate and support our work. And you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Mishkan Chicago. Until then, please feel free to subscribe and leave us a review. As always, we want to hear from you. This episode has been brought to you by me, Zach Weinberg, our editor and producer, Hannah Rehack, our rabbinical team, Rabbis Lizzie Heideman and Dina Cowens, and our director of communications, Ashley Donahue. On behalf of Teen Mishkan... Thanks for tuning in.